0: Good morning everybody. Good to see all of you here. Hope you're having a good summer. Thank you for being here and uh, if you're new with us and uh, if your kids are joining us today for Vacation Bible Sunday, thank you for being here and uh, I hope that you are welcomed well here today. I know that it can be a daunting thing walking into a new church and so uh, thank you for being here and if you're not new here, thank you for being here, but let's, uh, let's make sure to welcome one another well today. Um, if your kids are doing Vacation Bible Sundays, today's the last uh, Sunday we're doing that, and so I would just uh, encourage you to be an encouragement to Kim Nelson uh, today. If you see her, go out, go out of your way, I would say, to, to say thank you for reaching out to the kids in our community and for loving our kids so well, and uh, uh, give her some good feedback uh, today is part three of a three-part series that we've, we've been in, and it's called Stephen, The Joy and Pain of Seeing Jesus. Remember, that Stephen was uh, a Jewish man who became a Christian shortly after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. And soon after Stephen put his faith in Jesus, God uh, anointed Stephen for ministry. He anointed him with a spirit of godliness we read about and a desire to spread the, the good news about Jesus, and also with an ability to perform signs and wonders that accompanied his preaching. And so as Stephen was in Jerusalem, he was was telling the people there uh, in the public forum the the good news that that Jesus had come, that he had died, that he rose again to save the world. And as he did that, a number of Jewish men, we read, uh, became angry at him. And and these men were angry because Stephen's message, his, his gospel preaching, elevated Jesus above the Jewish temple, and it elevated Jesus even above the law that God had given through Moses. And so these these Jewish men were furious because in their eyes, Stephen was, uh, he was preaching blasphemy against God in Jerusalem. and, And they wouldn't have any of it. And so they had the leaders of the Jews arrest Stephen. And the officers brought Stephen to the Sanhedrin which was the the very same court that had sentenced Jesus to death. And it was also the same court that had recently warned Peter and the apostles to stop talking about Jesus in Jerusalem, which they hadn't done. They kept talking about Jesus. So Stephen comes to the Sanhedrin with the cards stacked against him now. And as he did that, he began to make a defense of himself. And... He gave this long speech to the Sanhedrin. It's, we went over that last week. It's the longest speech in Acts. And he retold the history of the Jewish people and explained to the Sanhedrin how throughout the centuries, the Jews had come to wrongly idolize their temple and they had come to abuse God's law, which had been given through Moses. And so that's what we're gonna pick up today um, to hear the rest of the story of what happened. If you've got a Bible with you, please open up to Acts chapter 7, verse 51 is where we'll start. And if you do not own a Bible, please drop by the information center in the lobby afterward. Uh, we'll be glad to give you a Bible as a gift from our church because we, uh, we don't want Sunday mornings to be the only time when you're able to open God's word. We want you to be able to open the Bible and read God's word throughout the week. <clears throat> that is a privilege which the majority of Christian history has not had—the ability to read the Bible in your house, in your language. So we don't want to take that for granted. Before I read today, uh, let's let's ask the Lord to help us, <clears throat> Lord Jesus. We uh, we thank you for this time of worship. Thank you that we can gather together. Help us not to take it for granted. We believe, God, you are glorious. You, you are ruling over us in heaven. You're the good king. Thankfully, you are our savior. And you save every person who believes in you for eternal life and salvation. We thank you for doing that. Thank you. And we thank you for your never-ending mercy. And thank you for your truth that endures forever. And as we read from your word today, God, we ask humbly that you would teach us, Holy Spirit. Um, We ask that as the gospel is preached, you would bring dead souls to life through the preaching of your good news. We ask that you would grant us repentance and faith. Please shine uh, this light of your word into our hearts into the darkness of our hearts, into dark spots that may be displeasing to you. Show us what's there that we may turn from those and turn to you. Purge the the sin out of our lives so that we may become more holy like you, Jesus. Please make us abounding in love for you and for one another. We just ask that you would use your word to do what it does to sanctify us. Use your word to sanctify us now. Protect us from evil, please. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts 7. 51 through 60. So here's Stephen speaking to the the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin, probably about 70 men. And he says this at the end of his speech. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It's the word of the Lord. So verse 54 says that, that when the men of the Sanhedrin heard Stephen's accusations against them, they were enraged, right? Right? And their fury was a visible fury. It was, it was so visible, it says that the men were grinding their teeth together in anger. And as Stephen stood there, outnumbered 70 to 1, God powerfully intervened. And instead of allowing Stephen to focus on the fury of these men, God causes Stephen to focus on the glory of God. Verse 55 says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. If you remember earlier, it says that before Stephen gave his speech, his face was radiating and the Sanhedrin was gazing, staring at him and now because they were seeing the glory of God radiate through him. And now we see Stephen gazing at the glory of God in heaven. And and this is not the first time, nor would it be the last time, when God uh, miraculously would appear to comfort his people in times of trouble, specifically in the book of Acts. Remember earlier in Acts 4, after the apostles were threatened by the Sanhedrin to, to stop talking about Jesus... The apostles returned to the church to the other believers and they all prayed together and at the end of their prayer God filled them with the Holy Spirit it says and made the earthquake as a sign that he was with them and then God continued to bless their ministry proving that he was on their side and in the same way as, as Stephen now enters uh, this persecution this this moment of persecution for Jesus God intervenes and he fills Stephen with fresh power from the Holy Spirit. And Stephen looks up into the sky where he sees two things, it says. He sees the glory of God and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, God the Father. And here, the glory of God refers to the breathtaking, brilliant light that shines forth from God himself a breathtaking brilliant light that shines from God. God's glory is the visual display of the incomparable beauty of God's holiness and perfection. And when God reveals his glory to humans, his glory always takes their breath away. It is the most beautiful, think about this, it is the most beautiful thing that can be seen the glory of God. And when God shows himself to people, they only see a speck of his glory. Because he's infinite. And as finite creations, we're simply unable to see the infinite beauty of God. Which is an awesome thing that heaven is eternal. Because for all eternity, we're going to be enjoying God's new mercies and seeing his glory in new ways forever. And this is the same glimpse of glory that God showed to Moses when God hit him in the cleft of the rock. And he remember, he said, I'll show you part of me. You can't see my face. You can't see, but I'll show you part of me. And this is the same glimpse of glory that God gave to, uh, to Jesus and Peter and John as they were up on that high mountain. And God's glory encompassed them while they were there. And Jesus' face began to shine as the sun so you couldn't look at him. But now here, God shows Stephen something that, that no human being had ever seen. He shows Stephen the glory of God shining forth from Jesus in heaven. Okay? Only Stephen and Paul and John would ever get to see Jesus in his heavenly glory while still alive on earth. And Stephen is the first one to see it. And this is the the brilliant glory, you guys, that our brothers and sisters in Christ who have passed before us are seeing right now, that they're gazing at, they're delighting in the radiant glory of the holiness of God. This glory is what scripture says, the eternal flame that illuminates heaven. The apostle John describes his vision of the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21, 22 to 23, writing, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So again, this is, this is uh, reiterating what Stephen told the Sanhedrin, that Jesus is our temple now. He is our temple forever and jesus is the lamb of heaven who will forever radiate forth the glory of god so bright and so eternally lasting forever that heaven will have no need for the sun to shine the true son jesus will shine the glory of god in heaven forever wow that's awesome he's the lamp and the glory is the light the breathtaking glory of God is what God wants Stephen to see right before the Sanhedrin takes his life. And Stephen then declares to the Sanhedrin what he's seen. right? He doesn't just see it, but then he says what he's seeing. Verse 56, it says, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And so So while the members of the Sanhedrin are are gazing at Stephen with hatred in their hearts, while they're gnashing their teeth in fury, Stephen um, is seeing in real time the glory of Jesus, the Son of Man, which was the the term the Old Testament Jews used to describe their Messiah, standing at the right hand of God. Think about this. Think about... What Stephen had just finished telling the Sanhedrin, that before there was ever a temple, God had appeared in glory to Abraham and to Moses and to Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets of old. And now God is appearing appearing the same way to whom? Not to them, to Stephen. And just like the Jews had turned against and tortured many of those ancient prophets, so now the Jews would turn against Stephen And torture him too and as if Stephen's accusations against them weren't enough to infuriate them now Stephen's claim to see Jesus in his heavenly glory as the Son of Man pushes them over the edge but by by showing Stephen his heavenly glory Jesus was verifying to Stephen that Jesus really is the temple Jesus really is the righteous one who fulfilled the law for his people. F.F. Bruce writes that the presence of the Son of Man at God's right hand meant that for his people, a way of access to God had been opened up more immediate and heart-satisfying than the temple could provide and Stephen was seeing with his own eyes that Jesus really is our temple in heaven. He is our living lamb of God. He is our perfect high priest who brings us to God. Stephen saw that Jesus is both the law giver and the law fulfiller. Jesus is the only righteous one who has fulfilled his holy law on our behalf. Wow. And what a glorious, think about that, what a glorious vision for anybody ever to see, and especially for a Christian, right before their moment of greatest persecution. And so why did Jesus do this for Stephen? How was seeing Jesus in glory going to help Stephen in his suffering? The answer is not explicit in the text, but I can think of at least five ways that this vision may have helped Stephen and how it can also help us today. First, this vision shows Stephen that Jesus is alive in heaven. It shows Stephen that Jesus is alive in heaven. Remember, Stephen was not one of the 12 apostles, right? Stephen had heard about Jesus um, and about his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven. And, and Stephen had trusted in Jesus. He, he believed that Jesus was alive. Uh, but now Stephen sees Jesus alive in heaven with his own eyes. And seeing Jesus and seeing him alive is exactly what Stephen needed to, to see as he entered this valley of temporary agony. Because often it is when we enter our valleys of terrible suffering that we are tempted to doubt that Jesus is alive. Do you believe that Jesus, do you believe this? You don't have to answer this out loud. I'm just asking this. Do you believe that Jesus is physically alive in heaven right now? I mean, and... and, uh, Regardless of how you answer this, let me ask you this question. Have you ever read in the Bible all of the different descriptions of what Jesus looks like now in his heavenly glory? That's a fun little exercise to do. Have you ever tried to visualize Jesus? (laughs) Our language really can't capture it Um, well we try to come up with these words like glory and holiness and they do the best job they can to say that God is separate. He's in his own category. But this is how the writer of Hebrews says it, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus in his resurrected heavenly glory is the most beautiful thing that can be seen and that will ever be seen by those who are blessed enough to see it. Whatever you are going through today, if you are a Christian, if you've been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, then be encouraged today with the truth that Jesus has conquered death and he is alive in heaven right now. He is glorious, he is awesome, he is good, He is just, He's merciful, He's holy, and Christian, He is yours. Amen. <laughs> Rejoice today that Jesus is alive. He sees you, even though you, you don't see Him yet. He, he hears your prayers. Just as the way we most clearly hear him is through his word. The Bible. Jesus is the living way. He's the living truth. He's the living life. He is yours, Christian. Rejoice in that today. Second, this vision shows Stephen that that Jesus is in control of everything. Okay? He's in control. Uh, S- Stephen might be tempted to believe that these evil men would destroy him and somehow defeat God's bigger purpose for Stephen. But seeing Jesus at God's right hand reminds Stephen that God the Father has given to Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth, right? That's what Jesus said. So that means no earthly counsel, no earthly counsel, Elected politician, no earthly government is our final authority. That's what that means. Jesus is the final authority, not only for us, but for the whole world. Every human being will answer to him one day and will be eternally blessed or eternally punished. Bad things happen in our world, we know that. Bad people do evil things to other people. Bad governments and rulers destroy their own citizens as well as other nations as well. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are being tortured and killed for believing in Jesus today. But through Stephen's vision in this passage, Jesus wants to know that he is on the throne. Even when things on earth look like they're out of control, Jesus is still in control. Spend a little less time looking at CNN and Fox News and a little bit more time in the Bible. Amen. Keep your eyes on God. Right. Jesus has already told us in his word how the story is gonna end. And no powers on earth or in the heavens can thwart his plans. Jesus' plans for your life and for the human race will be carried out. Jesus will be eternally glorified and all belong to him will be eternally blessed. That is your destiny if you trust in Jesus. Not that you can't look at CNN in Fox News. (laughs) We have to be careful though that our eyes are on the king and not the voices and rumors that we hear of earthquakes and rumors of war and all this kind of stuff. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what we all need, me too. <clears throat> Third, this vision shows Stephen that Jesus truly is the one true temple where humans can meet God. The reason we keep coming back to the temple is because remember, this is why Stephen's on trial. This, is, this was a big deal to the Jewish people. And this is one of the things that made them distinct is that God had given them instructions for the, the temple. But now that Jesus has come, he is our temple. Um, all the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. And when we meet Jesus then, we meet God himself. And so Steve, Stephen's vision proves that everything that Stephen's just told the Sanhedrin, which ticked them off, is true, that Jesus stands in heaven as Stephen's temple, Stephen's mediator, Stephen's intercessor. Now, when we read elsewhere in the New Testament about Jesus in heaven, we often read that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? Jesus sits in heaven. And some of the explanations given are, you know, obviously he's the king, he's on the throne, his work is finished, so he sits. um, And... It means that Jesus has been totally, obviously approved of by God the Father and justified and exalted in heaven. Uh, it means that he's ruling now over all creation and he's awaiting uh, the appointed time to return to earth. So it is interesting here that it talks about Jesus standing. You know, different commentators have different thoughts on this and my, I would just say don't, don't lose any sleep over it. The, 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 the fact is Jesus is in heaven and he's alive. So, we don't know for sure why Jesus is standing, but this is what I could see, uh, potentially. uh, Because God reveals himself to Stephen at this point, right before he dies, Jesus is looking at at Stephen as Stephen looks at him, and Jesus is awaiting his arrival. Right? He's maybe he's getting up to await his arrival. I don't know. It just doesn't say. But we do know this: whether Jesus is standing or sitting, that he's waiting to welcome us in heaven. And so, Christians, does it does it bring you joy to know? Think about this: that not only is Jesus waiting in heaven for you, but that right now he's your advocate. You need somebody to advocate for you before and in the presence of the holiness of God. And God is your advocate. God Himself is your advocate. God is for you because you are for Christ. And if the living God in heaven is for you, then who can be against you? No one. That's what Romans 8 says. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Does it fill your heart with joy to know that Jesus has gone to heaven to prepare a place for you? That, that he has, he's gone to heaven, um, he's awaiting you, that he stuck his flag in the soil of heaven and claimed it for you with his blood. <laughs> wow. Do you look forward to seeing Jesus and embracing him and having him do what he says he'll do in Revelation where he's, he, he will wipe away your tears You won't have any tears of sorrow ever again. And does it excite you today, if you're a Christian, to know that you don't have to wait until you die to to know Jesus personally, that Jesus is just as real and alive right now as he will be real and alive when you see him in heaven. So that means you don't have to wait, don't wait until heaven to live life with Jesus right now and for Jesus. Live life with the Lord right now. That's why Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in my word. Abide in my love. And I will abide in you. What a privilege that this is how God is. This is what he invites us into. Wow. Fourth, this vision reminds Stephen that even though uh, this earthly court, the Sanhedrin, has condemned him, Jesus' heavenly court is applauding Stephen. Okay, that's what's happening. Jesus, like we've said, is the ultimate judge. He is the law giver, and he is the law fulfiller. And at Stephen's moment of death, uh, seeing Jesus reminds Stephen that Jesus is his righteousness. Because Stephen is righteous in Christ, it doesn't matter if these 70 men say you are unrighteous. God is pleased with Stephen because Stephen belongs to him through faith. Stephen has been covered by the righteousness of Jesus and God is well pleased. And in addition, God is pleased with Stephen obviously for glorifying Jesus before these men by by pointing to Jesus as the true temple and as the righteous one. And so Jesus appears to Stephen now to tell Stephen, I'm proud of you. This is the first Christian martyr we know of, Stephen. Stephen. And now Stephen can approach his death here knowing in his heart that God is pleased with him. I remember hearing R.C. Sproul who passed away this year saying he was, uh, he wasn't afraid of death but he was afraid of how he was gonna die. And I think that probably describes a lot of us if we're in Christ, right? We don't like the idea of the suffering, the suffering. We're gonna get to, to, to that here in a little bit but The reality is, is that Jesus shows us he's with us in our suffering and that there is an end to the suffering. And that's one of the things that he shows us as he appears to Stephen. So as you approach your death, which could be at any moment, this is a very important question to ask. Do you know in your heart that God is pleased with you? Because it does not matter at all if your family is pleased with you, but God isn't. Or if your coworkers and neighbors are all happy and they think you're a really good person, but God isn't pleased with you. Or, or that other people think highly of you, consider you a moral, ethical, good, upstanding citizen, but God is not pleased with you. It just doesn't matter. You need God to be pleased with you, and so do I. Do you know today if whether Jesus has already declared you guilty for the evil things you've done because you can know that Um, and you need to admit that you've sinned against God and against other people that admit that you've thought evil and said evil and done evil and we all have and you, this is the other part a lot of us some of us might be willing to admit that the other part is this, to, to see that that evil offends God. That's the other thing our culture doesn't get. God is holy. This is what we mean. He's different than us. He, it says he, his face can't even look at sin. It can't be in its presence. We think, oh, God's nice and loving, and so even though I'm a sinner, he can still look at me and I can be with him. No, that's not what God says. You're listening to these voices or yourself. God says, I hate sin. (laughs) He's not pleased with people who do sinful things. He's not pleased with unholiness and unlawliness. He punishes it. That's what makes him just. And so in order to avoid God's wrath and everlasting death and hell as the punishment for our lawlessness and for unrighteousness, this is what we have to do. This is our only hope. We have to look to the love of God on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not indebted to us. He did not have to save his creation. He could have blown it all up. But Jesus on the cross became our evil. He didn't just look over it. He became it. He knew it had to be dealt with. He became our sin. He became our lawlessness. He became the lawlessness. He's the lawgiver. We broke the law. He became our lawlessness. He became our unrighteousness. He's the righteous one. We've done unrighteous things. He becomes our unrighteousness for us on that cross. And then what has to be done with that? Now that he is this embodiment of sin and evil... He has to kill it for us. And that's why he allows himself to be murdered on the cross as he suffers the eternal wrath of God toward the sin of his people. And on that cross, while Jesus took our sin away from us, he didn't just kill our sin, which was great. But what would happen, what, seriously, what would happen if, like, temporally, this wouldn't happen? If, 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 if he killed our sin, but then we sinned again. He, you know, we'd, we'd have to, one sin, we're guilty of the whole law. This is what Jesus did. He killed our sin once and for all, but then he imputed, he, he gave us the righteousness that he earned during his life on earth. His perfect life, that law-fulfilling life, He gave us that. So He said, "I'll become the evil; I'll take the wrath. You become the righteousness; you get the blessing." That's the great exchange that happened on the cross for those who trust in Jesus. Now, this is why it's serious, because if you don't trust in Jesus, if you say, "I don't need Jesus; I don't need; I don't; I could go with another God; I could do my own thing," then you're saying. <laughs> Think about what you're saying. You're rejecting the one who became your sin for you. You're rejecting the one who took on the God, God's wrath for you. No other gods did that for you. You haven't done it yet. But that's what hell is waiting for you for. That's terrible. That's why we don't want hell for anybody. We want all people to glorify the Lord, to know the Lord, to come to the Lord who loves them. I do believe God loves all people, but we know God does not accept all people. He can't accept holiness, sorry, unholiness. He must make us holy so that we're acceptable. And thankfully, he offers that to us. He offers that to us. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, God the Father, he, made him, Jesus, to be sin. Jesus who knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. That's the gospel. And we don't get that anywhere else. You just don't get that anywhere else. You can't get it anywhere else. You can't get it on TV. You can't get it at work. You can't get it from foreign gods. You can't get it from traveling the whole world and experiencing all the spiritual highs that you can think of. You only get the righteousness of God, which is what you need most in Jesus Christ. So we must turn away from our delusional self-righteousness. That's not a virtue to be self-righteous. We must turn to what is real, to the real righteousness of Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus, and ask Him to save you, and He will. And thank God He gave you today to repent. (laughs) And me, too. And be saved by the Savior, Jesus, and be baptized in His name, saying, this exchange happened for me. (laughs) He took my sin, and now I'm baptized in His righteousness. And start following Jesus until you meet Him face to face. And fifth, this vision that gives uh, of Jesus, uh, that he gives Stephen, it gives Stephen a foretaste of the warm heavenly glory of God that will soon engulf Stephen forever. It gives him this foretaste of the glory of God. Even though the agony of being stoned to death will be momentarily terrible for Stephen, it will be the final pain that Stephen will ever know. And the rest of Stephen's existence for all eternity would be one of eternal joy and pleasure in the presence of God. So, this ministers to us today. Uh, Jesus does through this passage by saying, son or daughter, whatever terrible things you might have to do or endure on earth, it is momentary, it is temporary. And not only do you have an eternity without pain to look forward to, but you actually have an eternity of pleasure to look forward to. And we know that not because we dream up and imagine what God might be like. It's because we look to the Word to see how God tells us He is like. The, 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 the brilliant light that shines forth from God Himself will be your eternal resting place. Psalm 1611, what does it say? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Where? In your presence. There is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. At your right hand, God, are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. But until that day when God calls you home and me home, he has us here for a reason. He does. Um, just I think about Orville, just like our brother Orville Simpson used to say well into his 90s, I just know God still got me here for a reason. Orville would say that. And he was right. He was right. And the same is true for you and for me, that God, he has you here on purpose. You're not a mistake. He's got you here for a reason. You exist to bring glory to Jesus and to enjoy Jesus now on earth as you seek to know him more and love him more with all your heart and soul and all your mind and strength. And as you do that, as you seek to love your neighbor as yourself. That's why you're here. You know, most Christians have never gotten to see the glory of Jesus Christ while they were still on earth, right? But God showed himself to Stephen here, not only to encourage Stephen, but also to encourage us. And God wants us to know Jesus is alive in heaven. Jesus is in control of everything. Jesus is our true temple where we meet God. Jesus does applaud uh, his righteous ones in his heavenly court because they're covered with his own righteousness. And Jesus' heavenly glory is what we will enjoy forever when God takes us home to him. Now, let's finish the passage here. After Stephen saw the glory of God and Jesus at the Father's right hand, verses 57 to 60 say, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, "'Lord, do not hold this sin against them.'" And when he said this, he fell asleep. It's ironic that right after Stephen called these men uncircumcised in heart and ears, meaning that they were unbelieving, they were sinful in their hearts and ears, they then showed that reality by doing what? By plugging their ears. They couldn't stand to listen to God speak to them through Stephen. So they had to plug their ears. And so they rushed toward him, they seized him, they cast him out of the city, they, they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who will obviously be hearing more about. And all of the leaders of the Jewish people began to smash Stephen with large stones. And as they were doing that, as this was happening, as they were killing him, Stephen, get this, he's still full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it couldn't be any clearer in this text. It it says it like four times, or maybe two to four times, I don't know, you have to check. But it says over and over again, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. And he calls out, Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he falls to his knees and he calls out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then Stephen's body died and his soul went to Jesus. And what's interesting here is, Many of the details of Stephen's trial and torture and death are strikingly similar to the details of Jesus' trial and torture and death. Um, Commentator Agith Fernando notes that both Jesus and Stephen were charged before the Sanhedrin. Both were charged of speaking against the Jewish temple. At Jesus' trial, he declared, from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God, And at Stephen's trial, Stephen saw the Son of Man at the right hand of the power of God. Jesus and Stephen were both taken out of the city to be killed. While being tortured, Jesus and Stephen both asked God not to hold the sins of their killers against them. Talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the moment of their deaths, Jesus and Stephen both asked God to receive their spirits. So in this moment, not only has Jesus shown himself to Stephen... But also, what's happening here is Stephen has become like Jesus even more to an unprecedented level by being tortured and murdered. He is following in his master's footsteps. And it might sound strange to us, um, but as we read the Bible, we read that people like the Apostle Paul would later say that he wanted to be tortured for Jesus and murdered for Jesus because in that torture and in the experience of that death, he would get to experience an indescribable closeness with Jesus, a fellowship with Jesus. In Philippians 3, eight to 11, this is what he says. Paul writes, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Agis Fernando writes that for the Christian, sharing in Christ's suffering is a natural extension of our union with Christ. Get that? It's an extension of our union with Christ because that's what ultimately happens in our salvation. God doesn't just save us, he unites us to himself. And to one another. We, he is the head. We are his body, right? And Christ is a suffering Savior. And if we are truly one with him, then we will suffer. We're connected to him. And there is a depth of union with Christ and a depth of fellowship with Christ that comes to us only through suffering. Jesus suffered for righteousness when he was on earth, and then he went to glory. And if we're united to Jesus through faith, Then we too will suffer for righteousness on earth and then we'll go to glory. If 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 we're following Jesus, if we're seeking to obey his commands, if we're taking seriously, I mean if if by the power of the Holy Spirit God has putting us this desire and this Holy Spirit ability to crucify our flesh daily and a desire to use our time and our talents and our treasures sacrificially for his glory, if if we're going to share the gospel courageously, we will suffer like Jesus did. We will share in Christ's suffering and we will know him more closely than ever before at the same time. And Jesus appeared to Stephen to show him that this momentary suffering was worth it it was worth the heavenly glory that was waiting him. And today Jesus says the same thing to you and me through his word to assure us that our momentary suffering, specifically our suffering for Jesus, is worth the heavenly glory awaiting us. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, (laughs) light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus, this this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that weight of glory, part of that weight of glory is what Jesus showed Stephen to encourage him to persevere. And that is the weight of glory that Jesus wants to use and to show us in this passage today to encourage us to persevere in the faith. Because Jesus is alive. He is alive. He is in control. He is our temple. He's our mediator who brings us to God. He has given us his righteousness through faith. And his heavenly glory will shower us with God's holiness very soon, forever. So, with that vision in mind, let's keep fighting the good fight of faith on earth until that day comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you for this vision that you gave to Stephen, and we thank you for filling him with your spirit and empowering him to see you and to courageously face his persecution and death for the gospel. <clears throat> when you read a passage like this, it just you feel like you're walking on holy ground. And, and we are. It's your word and your glory. Wherever you are, wherever your glory is, we should, uh, we should um, if nothing else, symbolically take our feet off, our shoes off, God. You are holy um, and you deserve worship and praise. And we just thank you so much, God, that um, while you are holy and sovereign and glorious, you invite us to be partakers in that because of your grace and through your grace only and um, help us God to keep our eyes on you um, just like Stephen did when our suffering is great help us to have an eternal perspective on our lives not only so that we can endure through our suffering but so that we can make the most of our time on earth for your glory uh, please encourage us and uh, Please help us to love one another well, Lord, and to suffer for your name in a way that honors you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.